Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Mineola Bible Institute with Dr. Larry Yates. The message you are about to hear, if diligently applied, will absolutely change your life. So grab your Bible, notebook, and pen, and get ready to take notes, because I'm praying that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, thereby allowing the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. You got pain, he's a pain if you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, save it. He's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. Well, glory, blessings and greetings in the mighty name of Jesus. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We're going to get back to our discussion of healing. We're discussing seven questions regarding divine healing. We've looked at does God heal? Who does God heal? When does God heal? And today we're going to talk about why does God heal? Very simply, God heals because it's his nature to save and to heal. It's God's nature to give good things to his children, not evil things. James 1 verse 17 said, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, not even a hint of turning or changing his mind. Matthew 7, verses 8 through 11 says, For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Jesus came to give life abundantly. We see that in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus referred to the people as sick and he is the physician. We see this in Matthew 9 verse 12. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. You can also see that in Luke chapter 5 verse 31. Jesus classified the sick and the sinner under one category. Just as he identified the two categories in John 10.10, 10, look at Mark chapter 2, verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here Jesus specifically refers to himself as the physician. Uh, Luke 
4 verse 23 and he said unto them you will surely say unto me this proverb physician heal thyself whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum do also here in thy country it's important to realize that God's thoughts of you are only good Jeremiah 29 11 through 13 says it this way for I know the thoughts that I think toward you saith the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end or one translation says to give you a future and a hope verse 12 says then you shall call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart we've discussed several times the hyphenated compound name of God Jehovah Rapha which means I am the Lord that heals uh, you'll find this in Exodus chapter 15 verse 26 and he said if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians for I am the Lord that healeth thee. The Hebrew word here is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah heals, the Lord who heals. God heals because his enemy makes people sick. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil or the adversary. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Matthew 12, verse 15 says, But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Many times in Scripture you'll see where he healed them all. Luke chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples, and a great company, or great multitude rather, of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue or power out of him, and he healed them all. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is Acts chapter 10, verse 38, which says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. In all these verses that we've just looked at, Jesus is shown to be healing, saving, delivering, setting free, and unloosing people from every type of physical, mental, and spiritual hindrance, regardless of how large or small. Let's look at a case in point. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. And when he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 
18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. This woman had been in this condition for 18 years, most likely coming to the synagogue regularly. Uh, could have been there every time the doors opened. But those in leadership had never helped her. Verse 12 says, When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and he said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Jesus told the woman she was loosed while she was still bowed over. This is preaching or proclaiming deliverance to the captives. Verse 13. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Jesus spoke it and then he acted. He didn't just teach. He demonstrated the gospel. The gospel or good news that is not demonstrated is not good news, but rather cruel teasing. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and he said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, in them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But don't forget, she had been there regularly. He hadn't picked any of those days to try and offer her any relief. This is always the reaction of a religious spirit. Notice they didn't argue over whether or not Jesus could heal or would heal, which would have been useless since Jesus was doing it right in front of them. But the religious spirit will always condemn you for doing what they know they should be doing but aren't. Usually their tactic involves condemning the way you are doing it more than whether or not you should be doing it. They were saying that there were other days in which to heal, yet they weren't doing it on any of the days. Verse 15, Then the Lord answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? This shows God's viewpoint of acting one way in day-to-day uh, -day affairs and another in religious affairs. Uh, anyone that separates their life into real-life category and a church category is a hypocrite. Anyone that does more for an animal than they would do for a human is a hypocrite. Verse 16, And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day, the only reason Jesus gave for the woman's healing was the fact that she was a daughter of Abraham. Paul said that the true children of Abraham were those that were Jews in the heart, not by the flesh. He went on to say that anyone of faith was a Jew. Since this was the only reason Jesus gave, it should be enough for anyone. We also see that she had been bound for 18 years and that Jesus said it was Satan that had her bound for 18 years. He also proved that no day should be too special for a child of God to minister healing or to be healed. Verse 17, And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. This will always be the result of faith and healing. God's 
adversaries will be ashamed and the people will rejoice and glorify God. I also want to point out that God heals because Jesus paid for mankind's healing. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 says it this way. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Jesus suffered your sickness so that you would not have to. In the same way he took our sins in his body on the cross, he also received the stripes on his back in order to minister healing to us. Matthew 8.17 says it this way, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. We see also in 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Healing is in the atonement. We see that in both of those verses. Matthew 8.17 and 1 Peter 2.24, uh, looking back at Isaiah 53 very powerful chapter in the Bible and when you put the two covenants together we find tremendous blessing and promise your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost we see that in 1st Corinthians six nineteen. the Holy Spirit lives within us God himself Jesus himself lives in us through his Holy Spirit you know, it's interesting to me that if sickness in the Old Testament made people unclean, why would the Holy Ghost want to reside in a polluted body? You are the church, which is the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, um, verse 22 says, And he hath put all things under his feet, and given him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So let me ask you a question. Did Jesus plan on having a disabled, sick, diseased body? Under the old covenant, a person wasn't even able, eligible to be a priest unless their body was without defect. And fourthly, God heals because Healing, salvation, and deliverance are all the same to him. There's no difference. He provided for one just as he provided for the other. To God, there is no difference in the size of the need. He does not have to exert himself any more to heal than to save. Man is the only creature that categorizes things in this manner. God is not differentiated between the two. The devil, the enemy of God and man, is the originator of the idea that we must decide between the two or be satisfied with salvation from sin only. The very word used in the Bible for salvation means health, healing, deliverance, prosperity, peace, and wholeness. 
Salvation is the all-inclusive word in the Bible which clearly defines God's attitude and will for us. In the absolute truest sense of the meaning of the word, salvation, we cannot say that we are truly and totally saved unless all of the above definition can be applied to every area of our life. If you have made Jesus your Lord and Savior but remain in sickness, you cannot, be, you cannot claim to be saved to the uttermost, as Scripture implies. This does not mean that if you died or Jesus returned that you would not go to heaven. It just means that there is more of the blood of Jesus that can be applied to areas in your life. By the same token, if you are healed of a disease but have not made Jesus your Lord, you are not totally saved either. Here's another way to look at it. A man with a terminal disease was drowning in a river and a person came along and pulled him out. We could say that the drowning man was saved, quote-unquote, yet he still has the terminal disease and will die unless something happens. The man that pulled the drowning man from the river is a savior in a limited way. But what if the man with the terminal disease was pulled from the river by a doctor that knew the cure for his terminal disease? Now the man that pulled the drowning man from the river is his savior in a wider capacity. This is obviously a picture of God and man. God can be your limited savior or he can be your complete savior. We must not limit God in our lives. We must remember that what happened to those who limited God in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a very lengthy passage of scripture but I want to do it to make a point. Turn to Psalms chapter 78 and follow along with this or you can see it there on your screen. Psalms chapter 78 and we're going to look at verses 1 through 72. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to this generation the, to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the days of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forget his works and his wonders that he showed them. Marvelous things 
did he in their sight in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan he divided the sea and caused them to pass through and he made the waters to stand as in a heap in the daytime also he led them with a the cloud and all the night with a light of fire he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as of out of the great depths he brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their hearts by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Below he smote the rock and the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he also, can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above, opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sands of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations. So they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them, and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still, and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity, and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock, and their the high God, their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right within them, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many at times turned he his anger away, and did not stir up all of his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away, and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness, and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted him, and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. He had turned their rivers into blood 
and their floods that they could not drink. He sent diverse sorts of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillar and their labor unto the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, and indignation, and trouble. By sending evil angels among them, he made a, a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to the pestilence, and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength, in the tabernacles of Ham, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock, and he led them on safely, so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them, and divided them an inheritance by line, and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God, and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. <coughs> they were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacles of Shiloh, the tent which he had placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He gave his people over also unto the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men, and their maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awaked as one, of the sleep, as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine, and he smote his enemies in the hinder parts. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which he hath established forever. He chose David also his servant, and he took him from the sheepfolds, from the great ewes, from following the ewes, great, and with young he brought them to feed Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart, and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Now you can see by this psalm, that God expects those to whom and through whom he shows his power to stay close to him, to tell of his wondrous works, to pass on their faith to their children. 
The Hebrews tempted and provoked God by limiting him. If we are under a better covenant, how much more should we remember his works? Don't limit God. Is there anything too hard for him? Let's look at some scriptural reasons that God heals. Uh, Psalm 91, verse 14 through 16. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, we are told what will happen if we obey God and what will happen if we disobey God. Healing of every sickness and disease is under the blessings listed if we obey God. And those same sicknesses and diseases are listed as the curse that shall come upon us if we do not obey God. If you have sinned and become sick or diseased, it's an easy thing to repent and receive forgiveness and be healed. If you are converted and born again, you should be healed. Matthew chapter 13, verse 14 and 15 says this, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Look at Psalms 103, verses 1-6. through 6. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowned thee with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfieth my soul or my mouth with great things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and the judgment for all that are oppressed. We are commanded here not to forget all his benefits. Yet that's what we do. These are his benefits. He forgives all our sin and sins and he heals all our diseases. These are the two components that man must deal with in this life, the spiritual and the physical. If what was just said did not clear it up, God then reiterates it by saying that he redeems our life from destruction and he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, not sickness and crippling afflictions. If you will look at most of the healings Jesus performed, you will find that they were performed in answer to a cry for mercy. In verse 6, we're told that the Lord executes righteousness and judgment for or in favor of everyone that is oppressed. This does not mean that God is the one judging the oppressed because that would not be in keeping with the spirit of what is being written in this passage of Scripture. It is obviously saying that God judges in favor of the oppressed. 
meaning that he judges righteously when he declares that the oppressed are to be free. We are also told in Psalm 34:19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll share it with others. This is such an important message to the body of Christ. Never before has it become uh, so apparent of our need for the healing power of God. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and get notifications of each new weekly video. Give us a thumbs up for this one if you'd like, if you will. And may the Lord richly bless you. Always remember, you can do it if you believe you can. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name. We trust this message from the Word of God has been a blessing to you and made you think. If you need further information, you can find us on the web at MineolaBibleInstitute.org. That's MineolaBibleInstitute.org. Don't forget to look for us on Facebook, or you may write to us at Dr. Larry Yates, 738 Goodson Circle, Mineola, Texas, 75773. Whether it's a question, prayer request, or praise report, we want to hear from you. If you have enjoyed this message, don't forget to subscribe and join us each week for more Time in the Word. Thank you for joining me, and don't forget, read your Bible, read it slow, read every word, and read it like you've never read it before. Now go and have a blessed day in Jesus' mighty name.